Today's reading is 1 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 13. It can be found on page 1092 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The word of the Lord. All right. I want to invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this place, those words we were invited to sing were, to you all hearts are open. The idea that you see into our deepest places. Some of us might consider that terrifying as we sit here this morning. And others of us might find that extremely comforting. I suppose it all depends on where we sit with our understanding of of who you are. And some of us have been told you are someone to be afraid of, and some of us have been convinced that you are someone to trust deeply. Some of us come into this space this week with uh, experiences that bring us into places of grief and terror, and others of us places where we are reminded of past troubles. Some of us have cried this week and sobbed and tears have flowed, and others of us have have been happy and joyful and thankful for things that we might even describe as answers to prayer. From all these places we come and we sit here now with the possibility that you you may have brought us here, that you have a reason for us sitting here today. Oh, that we would believe that's true. And so now as we sit here, the truth is we're more of a mess than we want to admit, than we want the other people around us to know. And sometimes we even do a great deal of covering up to make sure others don't know it. And yet, the message we tune into this morning tells us that in Christ, Through what you have done, through your son Jesus, we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And now we listen in. We listen to these words and we believe you might be speaking to us, that we might be able to hold those truths together in our heart, in our deepest places. We might be able to hold that, yes, we are a mess and we've contributed to our mess and the mess has come from the outside as well, and yet we are loved and loved deeply. You see all of it, and you move towards us in our mess. Speak to us through that kind of grace now, we pray, in a way that our lives might be changed. Amen. Each week we have the question of the week, and you can fill that out on the contact card that's in the worship guide. There's a, you kind of flip that little contact card over, 
you can let us know who you are. You can get a weekly email from us by putting info on there, but there's a question of the week. And that, that question, I think, on there is printed wrong. I think we printed last week's press question again. So I think the question's supposed to be, what future are you looking forward to? I think that's the, that's the new question. So that's one you could answer this week. What, what future are you looking forward to? But last week we asked this question. We got a few answers. What, who do you listen to? So who do you listen to? Who do you let in? Who do you let speak into your life? Um, someone said, there's only one voice I listen to, James Frizee. <laughs> the one and only. And half of you are like, who, what does that even mean? That's just someone who, that's like an inside city life, inside joke. Um, James Frizee goes to our church. I, don't, I didn't see him today. So. Someone else says, my mom, P.S., I am an adult. <laughs> Someone else says, people who prove that they care for me and, not, and, 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 not, and they don't care about an agenda in their head. That's a really insightful answer. A lot of, uh, and a really deep question, right? Who do you listen to? Who do you let in? Who do you allow to speak into your life? In this passage today, we have in verse 13 something that we're going to focus on where the Apostle Paul describes how he knows that the people he spoke to and met in Thessalonica, as he put it, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So he's marveling over this, and he's marveling over people who have, are operating in a certain way and certain voices are allowed in and then suddenly there's a shift and there's a whole other kind of voice that's allowed into their life. That's a, that's a, that's a really amazing transition to make. Anytime you do that with any shift of saying, well, now I'm going to let this voice kind of weigh in. Um, and especially when it comes to the Bible. Let me just read a little portion of a book that I think is kind of fun. It's called Letters uh, from a Skeptic, I believe is the title. Um, and it's, the author is, his last name is Boyd. And so what's intriguing about this book is he is, the author is a, um, well, the whole book is just letters between a father and a son. The father's not a Christian, the son is a Christian, but the son is also a, like an academic in the Christian world. So he's, he's studied the Bible deeply and intensely and is a professor at a seminary. So the answers, the questions are incredibly incisive, but then the answers are, are elaborate and full and really um, a lot to process. So this is a question from the dad to the son at one point. This is one of the letters. On to theology, Greg. I almost ha hate to admit this, but you are starting to make sense. So this is the father writing to the son. I'm beginning to think that most of my hang-ups about Christianity are the result of getting it from the wrong sources, the Catholic Church and the bozo preachers on TV, which I occasionally watch just for laughs. Your stuff on the Bible cleared away a lot of the fog I had in my head about the book. I still don't care for the Old Testament picture of God much, but I'm more willing to suspend judgment on it because of the perspective you've given me. But another question has come to the surface as I read and reread your last letter. I was taught in my Catholic days that the Protestants were mistaken in, go in going by the Bible alone because it was the church that put the Bible together. 
Wasn't it the Catholic Church that decided which books got into the Bible and which books didn't? Didn't they do this uh, sometime around the 5th century? The priest was teaching us this to convince us that Protestants owed it to Catholics that they have a Bible in the first place. I'm wondering how this could be if this is God's word. I mean, why would it take so long to decide and how could God leave such an important decision in the hands of self-serving rascals? I've heard somewhere that it was left up to some council of bishops to actually vote on what books were, were and were not inspired. That doesn't seem like a very dignified way to establish the word of God, capital letters. How do you know if they were right? Maybe some bad books got in. Maybe some inspired books were left out. And don't Catholics and Protestants still fight over this? Why does the Catholic Bible have more books than the Protestant Bible, yet both claim to be God's word. It just doesn't make sense to me. We've all, we've all been, I mean, those are, wow, how would you like to answer that question if uh, someone was writing that to you? But many of you actually have those questions, and many of you sat around as, as people around you have asked those questions. Friends, family, coworkers, neighbors. Basically, there's this feeling like there's just way too many intellectual hurdles to get to that point of trusting what is talked about as God's word. You know, nice for you. I'm, it seems like it guides you. It gives you a nice little warm fuzzy with your other Bible reading friends. But sorry, I just can't get there. Too many intellectual hurdles. And that's why it's, it is such a miracle what happens in verse 13. So we're just zeroing in on what Paul says here. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. One of the most important things, if we're having a message about this, uh, about this topic, is to never stop being in wonder about how miraculous it is to go from just looking at, say, the Bible or what a preacher might say or how scripture might be taught, from looking at that as just human words to something where you're actually expecting and believing that God is going to speak to you. That, that we need, in, in a sense, everyone, whether you believe in that kind of view or not, needs to dial up the sense of, like, yeah, this is a miraculous transition to make. And Paul is acknowledging that. One of the quotes in the worship guide, does anybody have a worship guide? Oh, wait, I have, I have the quote right here. Never mind. So one of the quotes in the worship guide by Jeffrey Wyma, who was a, actually a professor of mine in seminary and wrote this huge uh, commentary on First and Second Thessalonians. He says, much more than a fancy human message that caught their fleeting attention at one brief moment in time. Let me just pause there. I'll read this quote again, but... The first half of the quote, just think of yourself in your life. What might be a fancy, fleeting, a fancy human message that catches your fleeting attention at one brief moment in time? What kind of things are like that for us? Much more than a fancy human message that caught their fleeting attention at one brief moment in time, the gospel instead is an opening source of divine power, or an ongoing source of divine power in the lives of the Thessalonian Christians, an ongoing power in their lives. A little background on um, 
a little background on what happened with these Christians. Let me read from Acts chapter 1 and catch what Paul is talking about in the transition that happened. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and and rise from the dead. So that's a sense of, that's a summary of how Paul talked about God's word to them, how he preached the gospel to them. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a number of, a large number of, Greek, of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As, it was, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went into the Jewish synagogues. So here we go, same, same kind of thing. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture, scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too. It's like a two-day walking journey. That's how much they you know, had it in against Paul doing this. Some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. So that's just, I just want to give you the kind of framework within how this word of God comes to these people and what that was like. And... In Thessalonica, Paul writes them a letter back saying, one thing was clear, that you didn't just receive these words as fancy human words, but as the word of God, as it actually is. And then I think one of the things I want to point out is how it might seem like a big, risky kind of maneuver for someone today to move over from not viewing scripture in that kind of a way to viewing it in this kind of a way. It might seem like a big, risky maneuver today, but in Thessalonica, it seems like it was a risky a much more risky, dangerous, even deadly kind of prospect. Did you catch that in there with Jason and the others? I mean, just for hosting them in in his house, he was put on trial and he was put in prison. So this, but this risky move happens. So why does it happen? And one of the things to point out is is a another passage in Scripture in Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve says, "The word of God is living." and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Marrow? Marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Living and active. The Word of God is living and active. It's like this pulsating, creative, loving, vibrant power that is alive if you dare approach it and get 
close to it. And that, that livelihood is part of the whole biblical story. So like if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and you read carefully, you'll notice, if you're observant, that the way the story is told is that God speaks the world into existence. That's one of the emphases, literarily, of that passage, Genesis chapter 1. That God words it into existence. The very word coming out of God's mouth, the very speaking of these poems that he speaks, is so full of pulsating life that the things just happen through the words. He doesn't need you know, some chemistry tools to add to it. It's just the words themselves bring life. The Word of God, that's the Word of God. And then another cool place where you see this, how much alive God's words are, is when he's speaking to them as they've come through the desert lands. They've been freed from Egypt, the Israelites, and then they're about to go into this new land where God is going to hold them and care for them and give them the promised land. And he says that he took them out to the desert for 40 years to test them. Sort of a purifying your faith kind of time. And one of the key phrases in there is to teach you that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. These words are alive and active, and they bring you life. They nourish you. When Jesus came, one of the gospel writers, John, begins the story very poetically in ways that remind you of Genesis chapter 1, but then this, this, is, this is one of the ways that it's spoken. The word... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then kind of the key to it, the key to what John is talking about there is when he says, and then the Word became, anyone? Flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus comes as somehow the one who at the beginning was part of giving the words, but now comes and enters in as the word. And then Jesus, when he's tempted, when he's tempted in the desert, there's a 40-day tempting thing that's really cool, and then and the devil comes and has these three temptations, and one of them is to, poof, make that rock a loaf of bread. And he's tempted to do this. He's hungry, and he says, he quotes scripture at the devil and says, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then one of my favorite passages of Scripture, if you've been here before at a time when I've referenced this, um, um, well, good for you. you get Prophets have spoken. So now he's talking about scripture. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And the narrator goes on to say this. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I just wish I could have been there as a Bible nerd. 
Then, then this is what they say after he departs. This is, what, this is what they say. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then Jesus appears to them again, and it's almost like the same kind of thing. He appears to the broader group of disciples, and he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That was an old Jewish-ism for saying all of Scripture when you say those things. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The word of God is living and active. And you see that Jesus believed that. You see that Jesus anchored his own identity around that. And then you, it starts to make sense how the Apostle Paul, as he goes from town to town, and, and as that continues and we continue to view ourselves in this church and those who are called to preach and teach the Bible as part of that calling, you, are, you will be witnesses of this story and how the scriptures all point to Jesus. And then we see God and we see forgiveness and we see grace through all of this. The word of God is living and active that we're still pretty hardened to that activity. One of the ways that I think that's the most amazing to me about how we soften is how the more and more you allow yourself to be around and a little bit open to the words of the Bible, to the words of scriptures, the more you're a little bit open and let it in, the more you actually explore, you know, and don't just take your cliche kind of summaries that you grab from here and there and this professor and this friend when you're in college and this these cliches that kind of lump the Bible in a certain box, the more you come and kind of set those aside and just listen, the more you actually start to see that this whole book keeps driving, this whole collection of stories keeps driving towards this kind of bigger story in which God seems to care. That's just, even that itself, God cares. What did you bring in with you this morning? What kind of emotions and troubles? God cares. Very clearly, over and over, God seems to care, and he wants to make it better. He wants to make things better. Any trouble you brought in this morning, that's a consistent message you get from this. And he's not trying to get you to foot the bill for it. That's, and that's actually, so a lot of the, one of those little cliches that we walk in with, one of those little caricatures of Scripture is that it's a book of how God wants to make you pay for it. <laughs> God wants to leave you with the check. Here's something amazing, a great feast. I'm heading out before the check comes and you can pay the bill. That's kind of how a lot of people view this book. And it's, as soon as you give it any time at all, you see that doesn't hold up if you actually enter into this story. In fact, God's quite willing to pay the bill. And you say, no, 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 let me just cover the tip. Mm -mm. Over and over, it shocks us, it amazes us, and it softens us. Over and over you read about how God just seems to be consistently willing to double down on his desire to make things better, on his care for you. He seems to say over and over that, it, that it's safe to bring all of what you brought here this morning. God just wants it. Bring it. 
Bring your doubt. Bring your shame. Bring your past. Bring your present. Bring that one relationship that is just, you know, <laughs> that one family member. Your issues of unforgiveness, your anger, your resentment, your shame. All the sticky stuff that you carry in. Bring it all and get ready. Because what you hear as you bring it is, I love you. You don't have to be a Bible banger to want that. Or to begin to just be a little bit open to exploring and hearing more about that. Amen. The Word of God is living and active. Everybody's story is different. You know, my story is different from yours. Everybody's story for why they are at a current point kind of resistant to listening to the Bible or to the Christian message. Everyone's in a different place for why they're resistant or how they came to listen in to Scripture. But I, one of the patterns I tend to see is that um, that path of eventually being open to listening to seeing Scripture for what Christians have said for 2,000 years that it is, one of the things that's common is that it's a little bit like um, if you've ever played Sudoku. I just started playing, and I, I kind of look over my wife's shoulder at, at night, and we kind of, and I kind of say, "What if is that a six right there?" And you kind of, you have this experience where in Sudoku that one number suddenly unlocks and begins a chain reaction of, "Okay, now I can now this, and then this, and this." And you kind of move through different parts of the board after one thing kind of. Turning and changing. A lot of people's story with coming to listening to and letting the story of God speak into their life kind of happens that way. This is a miraculous thing that happens, but it sort of happens like something switches. One author, um, a scientist actually, who wrote a book called The Language of God. His name is Francis Collins, and he tells a little bit about his story in the introduction. Francis Collins was the head of the Human Genome Project. They sequenced all of human DNA. Um, very well-known, very respected scientist. Talks about how he became a Christian. And basically, he was, in, he, was a, he was a brand new doctor, just out of medical school, and he had a patient who, was, who had a very bad, had basically a terminal illness. It was his patient who just turned to him and said, um, you know, she's sharing about how difficult this all is. She turns to him and says, what do you believe? And just that, that question, just be, it was like that Sudoku number that just began this journey. Yeah, what do I believe? Something like that might be happening in your life right now in one way or another, or in a friend of yours. But this is where Francis Collins says it ended up. He says, I had started, so, so he began this intellectual journey of exploring the Christian faith. And he said, I had started this journey of intellectual exploration to con confirm my atheism. That now lay in ruins as the argument from the moral law, he's talking about something he read in a book by C.S. Lewis. Okay, just a little background on that. So the moral law and many other issues forced me to admit the plausibility of the God hypothesis. Agnosticism, which had seemed like a safe second place haven, now loomed like a great cop out that it often is. Faith in God now seemed more rational than disbelief. 
It also became, or, and this is what he says, if God exists, then he must be outside the natural world, and therefore the tools of science are not the right ones to learn about him. Instead, as I was beginning to understand from looking into my own heart, the evidence of God's existence would have to come from other directions, and the ultimate decision would be based on faith, not proof. Still, beset by roiling uncertainties of what path I had started down, I had to admit that I had reached the threshold of accepting the possibility of a spiritual worldview, including the existence of God. You know, it's... A lot, of bibli- a lot of terms might get thrown around by churches, a lot of phrases that sound really unattractive in terms of d- describing a relationship with God. I find it to be much more consistent that it's, that it's just a, a messy journey for people as they allow God's words, they, they begin to allow for God's words to speak into their life like Francis Collins eventually did. And a lot of the, a lot of the churchy phrases really don't land or really don't prove true in the end. And so I I like what Scott McKnight, an author who wrote a book about the Bible called The Blue Parakeet. This is what he said. Here is a conclusion that that has taken me nearly 30 years to come to. Those who have a proper relationship to the Bible never need to speak of the Bible as their authority, nor do they speak of their submission to the Bible. He says this, they are so in tune with God, so in love with him, that the word authority is swallowed up in loving God. Let's pray. Our God of grace, we want to be very considerate of the fact that some people today who are here might not be really up for um, you know, the, the idea of listening to the Bible or to what Christians have to say in this kind of way. And so we, we pray that you give us what we need. You give whatever is needed by each person here today in a way that we are able to receive it. You know, Christians believe some very unusual things. And, uh, and then we come to a place, most weeks we come, on a Sunday morning, we come to a place where we basically invite the church and those who speak for the church to tell us to, to live our lives along the lines of those unusual beliefs. Help us never to forget that you are at work through the acts of your love towards us. You have worked powerfully to bring us to that place where that's even possible. That our ears are even opened and that we're even willing to let you in. And would you continue to work on us in that way? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.